Welcome to Amplified, a podcast about the sounds of scholarship from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stacey Copeland. What you're hearing now is asterisk, a hard-to-say word, but also my favorite track off Dr. A.D. Carson's peer-reviewed rap album, I Used to Love to Dream. Released in 2020 by University of Michigan Press, Carson's mixtape essay-style work made some major waves in the higher ed community as the first-ever peer-reviewed rap album from an academic publisher. The cherry on top? It's also free and accessible, accompanied by a digital book and a documentary short film. Now working on a second peer-reviewed rap album release, A.D. Carson has become a leading voice toward reimagining the future of academic publishing. This month on Amplified, we're joined by Dr. A.D. Carson to talk about bridging the worlds of rap and academic publishing and their experience in non-traditional peer review, asking, who are the peers anyway? And know you probably need a little help. You only say that to yourself. My name is Dr. A.D. Carson. I am assistant professor of hip hop in the global south in the department of music at the University of Virginia. I primarily make rap music and I'm really interested in thinking about rap as critical, analytical, theoretical intervention. And with that, I don't mean to say that I'm doing something new with my work. Really what I'm saying is that rappers have for I mean, I guess about 50 years now, been doing this kind of work. And the projects that I'm working on now are some of the first that have been recognized within academia's hierarchy of knowledge production. And I guess what I mean by hierarchy of knowledge production is that University of Michigan peer-reviewed and released my album, I Used to Love to Dream, in 2020. And they have peer-reviewed and are in the process of making available a mastered version of my dissertation album, which is called Owning My Masters, The Rhetorics of Rhymes and Revolutions. But those aren't the only albums that I've released. I actually released three projects in between defending my dissertation and the first album that I did with Michigan, Sleepwalking, Volume 1, Sleepwalking 2, and then I did sound design for this play called The Royale. First off, can you tell us, you you mentioned the album I Used to Love to Dream, which is 
you know, the one that got doted and toted around the academic yeah. community as the first peer-reviewed rap album released by a university press back in 2020. Yeah. One of the main questions I wanted to get your perspective on is when I saw the announcement about your album, about I Used to Love to Dream, I immediately thought, oh no, this is probably going to be a kind of shitty rap album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I understand. No, no, I'm like, I, I understand. <laughs> Even though I work in academia yeah. and I make peer-reviewed work uh, mm -hmm. and I make media, that was my initial thought. And so I was pleasantly surprised that it's actually very well produced and very thoughtful and honestly just an enjoyable listen beyond scholarship in that way. It's provoking yeah. people to start to think about particular topics. Um, but how did the peer review process shape or did it shape at all the sound or the content of the album what was that process like going through yeah. peer review with with something that is so creative i mean so this is the thing that maybe never gets said about the like the process of making this kind of work that by the time it got to michigan it had already been through so many iterations. There were so many people that I was talking to. So, you know, like I sent my homegirl a copy and she's like, here's what I'm thinking about it. I send, uh, you know, one of my collaborators a copy and he's like, well, here's what I think. I send another friend. And, and so like, there are versions of this album that, you know, like just have, well, really like kind of have lives of their own, you know, I'm, and then I'm having this other conversation with the folks at University of Michigan about what kind of thing we might work on. And I should also say that Sleepwalking 2, I was talking with an academic press about doing that project, you know, as a peer-reviewed album. And it, the, the talks just fell apart. I mm -hmm. think that they didn't have a good idea of what was happening with the music. And I just got tired of waiting. So then on this trip, this project with two of my colleagues at the University of Virginia, where we're going to visit a, a creative art space in South Africa, the Black Power Station. And I'm like, well, since they have a space that's kind of like our rap lab here, maybe, you know, we'll see what kind of creative synergies come from that. So I go, go over there. You know, there's some performances for the National Arts Festival that they have there. And so I, I ask if for one of the performances that I'm supposed to do, maybe we could just do like a listening and feedback session on this album that I'm thinking about. And, and I wanted to play the songs in a room with people and just talk about what was happening. And that really kind of helped me sequence the album. By the time I get back to the States in Charlottesville, now I've got a better idea of what the album is going to sound like. I finished those things up and then continue that conversation with Michigan. So by the time they get the draft of the album that they that they send out, it's fairly polished. You know, I mean, it's had a really long time and a whole lot of feedback and just like all of these different conversations going on around it. Mm. And so then we had to tailor the questions that we were asking, not really to the content so much as how we might present it in a space to make it as accessible to academics while maintaining the integrity of the project as I want to present mm -hmm. it. Should the, the interludes between the songs be their own tracks? Or do we make it one really long track so that people have to play it all the way through? Do we do vinyl or do we do any kind of physical release? Those were the kinds of questions that we were asking. How do we contextualize it so that people who aren't familiar with any of these traditions in hip hop uh, might be able to still come in to the project 
and it be their the first thing that they have, but they're still able to engage with it in a way that is productive for their own edification or for their teaching. Mm-hmm. And I felt that the feedback I got from the readers was really, really helpful. It was really not so much about the album, but about what the interface would look like for the reader. So for instance, I didn't know that we were going to do the documentary, the reviews, the reviewers asked if there could be something up front that folks might be able to engage with so that they can kind of be eased into the world that shapes the production of the album. One of the things that I would have loved to have that that we couldn't do was a playlist function. So if you don't listen to it on Bandcamp or, you know, whatever, you know, service provider you use Mm. uh, on the on the Michigan site, there's no way for you to play the entire album through in a playlist function. And that kind of sucks because I think that the album, I hope that the album is listened to from beginning to end. That's the way that I wrote it. That just means that we have to have better technology and we, we need to look at what, you know, like what Bandcamp does, what Apple Music does, what SoundCloud does. Because if we don't, then it's not going to be very enticing to an academic who does different kinds of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a question that I think a lot about in my work around podcasting and audio documentary. How do we engage with our work in ways that make it part of the scholarly academic conversation? Mm-hmm. And also, what are some of the tensions with that? Like, what does it what what do we lose with that work in bringing it into yeah. the academic world? Um, and what do we gain? Yeah. Have you started to experience the differences in the way that people engage with your work that is peer reviewed versus some of your other also very intellectually and theory driven work that isn't yeah. put through this peer review process? Yeah, I mean, the question has consistently been, who are the peers? Mm. While that might seem kind of unfair and dismissive of my colleagues who have taken the time to evaluate the work and then provide reports to the press, I don't think I don't take that question as being dismissive of those folks' expertise. Mm, Totally. I take that to be more about what academia traditionally has done with Black cultural production. Mm. And listening to it in that way, then it's um, I mean, it's a great question. It's a question that we really, we really need to deal with. I think that there are people who believe that there is something different happening depending on the project. Like if it's a thing that I just went directly to Bandcamp with, as opposed to uh, going through, you know, some kind of process. I mean, I guess I should say the the most recent project, which is called uh, For Talking to Ghosts, I released on Bandcamp first, and then I plan to do the peer review process after because. Mm. I want the work to kind of circulate first to see if that changes the way that people engage with it, you know, to speak to the question that you're asking. If someone says it's a peer-reviewed rap album, I can imagine a version of myself that says, yeah, that just doesn't sound like a thing that was made for me. (laughs) And so I don't need peer-reviewed, quote-unquote peer-reviewed to precede rap album whenever someone's talking about my work, because that's probably going to turn off the people who I really want to, to engage with it. So from my end, I want to make sure that I sound like me. I want to make sure that my music, when folks are listening to it, they don't feel like it's some like some weird thing that I've started doing because I work where I work or my colleagues or who my colleagues are. Because in truth, if I change what I make in order to accommodate those folks, 
then it's it's not doing, it's not the kind of transformative change that I want. I have been changed in ways that I actually like want to resist. So hopefully doing my work the way that I do it changes academia. Hopefully it changes academic publishing. Hopefully it changes the questions that people are asking for peer review. It's changing who gets considered a scholar to submit their work for review and all of those kinds of things, rather than all of us conforming so that we might be able to present ourselves as, you know, quote unquote, academic. Hip hop has been academic since way before academia ever tried to acknowledge it as such. And, you know, so like the bibliography that uh, that shapes my life includes a whole lot of rap music that ain't never been peer reviewed in any kind of academic context, even though it's gone through many rigorous processes of uh, evaluation, uh, analysis, criticism and so forth. But those aren't the same things that academia honors. And perhaps then we can ask academia or the academic spaces that we're in to start looking at those processes as what it might be able to provide. But that means that, you know, academia has to change. That means that the places where things get published have to change. That means that what gets published has to change. Yeah, I love that. What you're talking about totally resonates with me, especially around rethinking what research looks like and starting to acknowledge the long oral traditions of knowledge sharing that exist in other communities and other spaces uh, outside of the very Western white colonial university system, especially here in North America. Yes. Um, And so to speak to that, I mean, what other work out there is influencing your work and, and the way that you're pushing boundaries in what scholarship looks like in the university system? Yeah, well, there, I mean, there are a lot of people who are doing really, really cool things. You know, someone like, well, Chindrai Kumanika, who's a, a podcaster and musician, uh, activist. I appreciate his work. And I also talk to him fairly regularly about, you know, what what's the next thing? I also collaborate quite a bit with a producer and MC from Chicago. His name is Truth. And he is not in academia, but just like an incredibly gifted writer and just creative, creative guy. Similarly, uh, there's a guy in Decatur, Illinois, by the name of Preen, who I think is just similarly very creative. Let me also say that uh, Kande Thurman is an incredible artist who I'm always talking with as well. There are other academics like uh, the rapper at Brown, Samoose, who mm-hmm. I think is incredibly dope. Her work is, it's good on its own merits as hip hop, but it's also like the perfect kind of thing that we need to see pushing academia further. Yeah, I think that I could probably just keep keep naming people, but... (laughs) No, that's great. That's a good, I think, introduction to how you're approaching your own work and who's influencing you. You know, looking back, I used to love to dream so a few years out now, yeah. and you're working on bringing Owning My Masters into the peer review space. Yeah. What are some of the lessons that you learned from that first process you're bringing into the second? (laughs) And what are some of the lessons you would want to share with other uh, rappers or scholars or rap scholars who are interested in bringing their work into the peer review process? You know, have people who will tell you if the shit is whack. (laughs) Really, don't depend on the academic press or the reviewers uh, for, like, uh, opinions on the quality of your work. Depend on people whose opinions you value about the quality of work like yours. 
even if I do believe that it's dope and then somebody whose opinion I don't respect says that it's dope, that really doesn't help me. And also it doesn't help me if they tell me it's whack because I don't believe you. I don't respect your opinion. So you need that for yourself. Somebody who who you trust that's going to tell you if it's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I trust them to tell me when I'm not sounding like myself. But if you have a vision for your work, then fight for your vision. And there's nothing wrong with asking someone to explain to you why they want something changed. If the only reason that they want it changed is because of the way things have always been done, mm. that's not an adequate reason. If you, if you don't have a vision, then you'll end up working on somebody else's. It would be a shame for your work to be rendered in someone else's vision of it. You know, like somebody watching Boys in the Hood and they're like, you know, it's a, it's a really great movie, except that I wish it was Gone with the Wind. And it's like, well, (laughs) gone with the wind is gone with the wind. So, um, yeah, like, just don't let somebody turn your album into gone with the wind because that's what they want to see or your project, whatever it might be. Work with people who respect your work. Similarly, think about the folks who are in graduate school or who are in undergrad or who are in high school who are hoping to be able to do this kind of work whenever they get to, you know, like this particular place. Think about how you might make that work easier for them, about how there are certain locks that don't have to be picked, certain hinges that don't have to be knocked off of the door, you know, like certain burdens that don't have to be shouldered by them because we're doing the work now to make the work of the future much easier for them to walk directly through the door the way that they want it to to look and sound. And I think maybe that's probably like the most important consideration so that Folks don't have to, you know, sit down and and deal with bizarre conversations or people fetishizing their work or exoticizing, you know, like them, their very body, their being, their ability to exist in this space. Nobody should have to deal with that. And especially nobody should have to deal with it if we've already dealt with it now. I'm not advocating that we become the gatekeepers. I'm uh, advocating that we demolish the gates. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. I loved the, I think that's a great line. You can use your next rap is don't let them turn you into gone with the wind. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find out more from Dr. A.D. Carson at adthegreat.com and on Twitter at adthegreat. Links in the show notes. A big thanks to Dr. A.D. Carson for joining us here on Amplified this month. As per usual, we only really hit the tip of the iceberg on this month's topic in the conversations around peer review, race, and communities of practice in the university. So if you have comments or want to take this conversation further, please do reach out. We're always interested in hearing from other folks engaged in scholarly podcasting, open science, and other alternative modes and approaches to academic publishing. Thanks for listening to Amplified, a podcast about the sounds of scholarship, coming to you each month from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network.